Welcome to the Off Duty On Duty podcast, episode number seven. Kenosha, the cop perspective. I'm your host, Brian Eastridge, and welcome to the podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com podcast network. The Off Duty On Duty podcast, we take topics that are relevant to today's gun owners and tackle them from the perspective of concealed carriers and on duty law enforcement, giving you both angles of discussion. Today, my guest again, Hanny McMood. We're going to talk about Kenosha, the cop perspective. In other words, kind of going to like lift the veil on some of the things that you might have seen in regards to the way the police responded to the incident. So you can take the nuggets of those knowledge and, uh, you know, explore them in your daily carry. We're going to answer a few questions, but first, today's sponsors. Today's episode is brought to you by Range Tech Bluetooth Shot Timers. Every serious shooter should have a shot timer to measure speed and accuracy on the range. The new Range Tech Bluetooth Timer is the most affordable, high-tech, and feature-rich timer on the market. It's also $25 less than any competing shot timer. The Range Tech Timer connects to your phone via Bluetooth and gives you accuracy and the power of a dedicated shot timer along with the advantages of online storage, auto scoring, and much more. Learn more at rangetechtimer.com. Just got my hands on the new Range Tech Timer recently, and I got to say I'm more than impressed. If nothing else, I can take pictures, score it, and save it in my phone. So my training sessions are logged, and it, it just takes the burden of me carrying pen and paper to the range away a lot. So... Check them out, Range Tech Timers. All right, let's bring in our guest. All right, Hanny, welcome aboard. Long time no talk to on the podcast, anyway. Yes, sir. Seems like weeks. It, it, I think it's been, it's been a couple of weeks. We had uh, Steve Moses and uh, uh, Jacob Paulson on, and then I did the 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 Armed Citizen episode with uh with steve again so that was uh oh it was kind of an interesting change because you know we we both know and love steve and and i think he was really well versed on the armed citizen aspect of the whole kenosha incident in that he was really just a week before on a podcast with Don West and Sean Vincent from CCW safe. So he was really well read, uh, even further than I was on, on the actual play by play of how the, the shooting went down. So, yeah, uh, Steve is, um, Steve Steve is always that way, uh, with really anything that, uh, he speaks about. He was always prepared, and Steve has been uh, an interesting combination of friend, uh, uh, peer, and mentor in the last uh, 23 years that we've known each other. Yeah. Yeah, wealth of information, and I find his perspective on the armed citizenry is unique because he, he does have 
a limited, I say a limited background, but he has uh, the experience of being a reserve law enforcement officer. And he yep. brings a lot of that to the table tempered with, he's been a lifelong student of the gun, you know, and, and not yep. just the gun, but martial arts, um, yeah, defensive yep. tactics, things like that. So really, yeah. uh, and he's been an author. So he had that, uh, that really well-versed prepared. Look, he, he, he is a quadruple threat. What are you going to say? <laughs> exactly. So, and, um, you know, if Steve doesn't discuss stuff like this, as, as many people don't, but you know, uh, he he did a lot of work as a reserve. That there are reserves on the face of the earth that do not see. Um, and so, rather than being cryptic about it, when we first started our SRT um, years ago, there was only uh, seven of us, and Steve was one of them. Steve was a reserve. That when I gave him a call and said, "Hey, we got work to do." Because this is the profile, this is what we have to do. And yeah, that one we're going to have to go kick the door and, you know, go do it, go do a, a higher entry. He'd be like, uh, okay, what day? Tuesday? Yep. Okay, I'll come and schedule that morning. So Steve would come, gear up, go, go hit a place with me, and then go back to work, you know, go in ahead. his uh, suit and tie. So uh, again, this is stuff he doesn't discuss, but you know, as a reserve, Steve, um, Steve got his money's worth. <laughs> Yeah, and and so did we. Well, excellent, and I just I think he's a he's a fascinating guy, and and you know I I'm glad to call him a friend, and uh, and he he brought a lot of interesting perspective to episode six there. So, uh, yep. but but tonight, you know, I figured I would uh, tap into not only your your well versed background in law enforcement, but also that police supervisory side of, uh, yeah. you know, where, where you're actually managing troops on the ground. Right. Which is, yeah. I've, I've never been in a supervisory role in my entire career. I've always stayed uh, one of the ground pounders, so to speak. And, and it's allowed me to, you know, have a great passion for firearms and maintain a, a lot of activity as a, as a firearms instructor, but yeah, a lot of times people, when they see an incident like that, they don't quite comprehend some of the police response side. And I, I yeah. kind of want to tap into that because there are certain things that we can take away as the armed citizen. And there's certain things that, you know, as the armed citizen, you'll under maybe understand a little bit of why the police uh reacted in in the way that they did and this is not an armchair quarterback conversation more of a hey let's let's unveil and uncloak a little bit of this so you can kind of see into our thought process and that'll only help to keep the armed citizens safe in an incident like that as well or safer um yeah i i agree Uh, and, and again it's not like um really revealing secrets but it's it's just stuff that, you know, perhaps you and I are familiar with that other people aren't. Right. So, so uh, the number one question, and, and I've had two or three people ping me on this, uh, and, and it was not contentious in the way that it mm-hmm. was posed, uh, although some 
some people that I, I've talked to about it were very contentious about the way that that went down. But the number one question was, mm-hmm. why did the police not basically draw down on Kyle Rittenhouse that was the you know the individual involved in the three separate shooting incidents there and yeah. why they didn't immediately you know go <laughs> switch from missiles to guns and and take try to take him into custody right there at the scene and i want to hear kind of your perspective on why you think that occurred or why you feel like that occurred um <clears throat> so i've got um like a different, or I should say uh, varied ideas on that in the sense that not that I have varied feelings, but because I feel that the, the, the incident, um, the way it went down, varied responses by law enforcement were, were all acceptable. Ones that did occur and ones that didn't occur. Because given the nature of, of that type of, 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 of situation where you have crowds and you have, uh, you know, there are armed people and you know, there are lots of them and you know, there are some on each side, uh, there, there's a lot of ways that it could have been done and, and only a few of them good and a lot of them bad. So it, uh, I, I guess the first thing I would say is, there is no um, textbook yet for how to deal with um, groups that are protesting, groups that are counter-protesting, and large segments of each are visibly armed. That is that that paradigm is that book on that is being written as we speak. So. Uh, I want people to know that that that's not like we can open up the playbook on that one and pick that play because we're still figuring out how to do it. So that's my, yeah, I won't say disclaimer, but I guess that's how I want to preface it. Yeah. Um, so th- thoughts in general on what occurred um, in relation to why, you know, the officers did or didn't do certain things. Uh, this is what I have been thinking about in the last few weeks is that um, between there having been uh, events and protests where there have been shots fired and, and no one injured, just there have been shots. And then you have, um, especially in the Northwest, where we had a very regular um uh, dynamic of setting off fireworks, setting off things like that, that I think um, really serve to uh, muddle um, the situation uh, in terms of what do you do. Now, I have not read enough to know whether the officers saw each shooting. What we, what I know about what they know is that they saw him moving and in their direction. And he was visibly armed with a long gun. And 
uh, the best way I've heard it described is like, you know, he was jogging along and he, you know, kind of, I think either had his hands up or was kind of waving them. And I think they just like, you know, dismissed him. And go ahead, sir. Yeah, that, that was kind of my, yeah, my perception of it. And, and I, I watched that video, that portion of the video several times uh-huh. and there's there's even some chatter, and I couldn't tell if it was from the officers or, or what, where you can hear them saying, get back, get out of the street, get back, get out of the street. Yeah. Um, and he has his hands, like you said, visibly in the air. He even yeah. approaches one of the police cars, and you can see there's an exchange there. Uh, I yeah. And I don't know if it was you know, a heated verbal exchange, but to me it looked mm-hmm. like they were saying, you need to back up you know, you're armed, get away from our cars. Exactly. And, 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 um, whether, whether that, what you heard, the chatter that both and I, you and I heard when we, you know, listened to that was directed at him or whether it was directed, like get out of the street, get out of the street kind of thing. I I don't know who it was directed for. Right. And, um, but at, at that point, when I, when I saw that, my thought process as a policeman was mm-hmm. even though that person is armed, you know, he, he appears like he's looking for help. Like yeah. he's trying to communicate there's something's happened and the officers are maybe that's not the priority. They're seeing the disturbance that he's just left that has their attention. And yeah, you're constantly going through um, priorities of service. I would say like what yeah. demands my attention right now. And you have a large crowd moving towards them that saying there are people shot and you have a subject with a rifle saying, you know, help or whatever. There's been, a, there's a, an incident down here, help, uh, you know, I need help this, that, and the other. And to me, if I were sitting in that patrol car and that this young man ran up to my car with a rifle on and said, there's people shot down here. We need help. We need help. Yeah. His intents kind of been expressed right there that, Hey, I'm not here to, to get in an engagement with you. Uh, I just happen to be armed, which that's another thing I see when you, uh, when you have, when the state law and the ordinances allow for open carry, and I'm not, yeah. I'm not poo-pooing those at all. Yeah. What I'm saying is you get, that's the type of response you're going to get. Yeah. That person's armed, but they're not threatening me. So they're going to, they're going to drop in the priority chain just, just a bit. And yeah. I've got something going on down there that demands our attention. And I had several people ask me, they're like, why wasn't, why didn't they get out and challenge him and Mm -hmm. take him into custody right there? And the only answer that I can really come up with is they just had other priorities at the time, which tells me they probably didn't witness him shoot those two people. um, That that would absolutely be my uh, default impression. And I'm prepared to be wrong. What you know, if if it, that's what it turns out to be, but it, that sounds to me like exactly what occurred is that um, I, I would think it is highly unlikely that they would have seen 
him, you know, being in, in a shooting and not have detained him. Right. So, uh, right, wrong, um, or indifferent. If they if yeah. they witnessed that shooting, whether it be justified, whether it be completely legal, whether it be unlawful, they just saw what could be construed as a felony act. So that that in and of itself, had they seen that with their own eyes, to me yeah. that would have triggered a much different response than what what occurred and. That's kind of been my default answer is like, well, you you can't yeah. act on what you've not seen. And in a dynamic situation like that, I'm not going to put my safety and my life on pause because just because somebody has a rifle and their hands up saying, you know, help, help, help. Well, obviously yeah. you're not injured. You're not wounded. And there is a large mass of people moving towards us. So you're not a priority right now. Yeah. And that's um, that's something I think that the civilian populace in general doesn't under doesn't comprehend with law enforcement is that there yeah. are times that just because you have an emergency doesn't mean that it takes precedent over the emergency that we're dealing with, if that makes sense. Um, well, it makes perfect sense. And um, if if you if you give me a minute or two, I'll tell you what what incident. Like, um, in my mind, um, kind of mirrors this one, but it, it kind of sets the stage for how officers should react. And, well, enough of a preface. So, in 2016, um, here in the Metroplex, um, if I think a lot of people remember it, but to us who work in this area, it was July 7th of 2016 and you know it's it, it's it's a bad enough thing that we just refer to it as july 7th it, i mean in a way it was our own little 9-11 in a way it, you know in a law enforcement sense and, and you're um, referring to the parking garage shooter uh um not the um not the guy that uh uh well when i think parking garage i think of the shooting that happened in austin recently but yeah, I think it's who we were talking about is basically the guy that was a protester and, uh, the, it was the one that was ultimately, uh, resolved by an explosive charge with a robot. Yeah. Okay. So a bit of background, not too much. That was a planned protest and, um, Dallas PD was out in force and there were, um, a lot of, um, armed protesters and and i don't want to uh, make assumptions because people throw around words like antifa and black lives matter and so on and 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 the thing is i i really don't know what that you know exactly who they were affiliated with or indeed if they were affiliated with anybody but the fact remains that there were armed protesters uh with visible long guns at that protest and dallas city was out in force and uh, a a individual, that's the best way I can put it, uh, named Micah Johnson um, was there, and he had uh, he had posted on Facebook as they invariably do uh, his, his his anger at uh, police officers in general and how he wanted to kill officers, particularly white officers. This is according to his postings, and so on. And towards the end of the protest is when the shooting began. 
And yeah, he, he shot from different places, from buildings. He shot on the move. Uh, in terms of casualties, which we won't make light of, but we'll keep it brief. Uh, five officers were killed. Uh, nine were wounded. And there were two civilians that were also wounded. So we have a total of 16, I think. Okay. Uh, that were shot. Okay. Now, so you have an incident that 16 people were shot. Um, nine and five is 14. 14 of them were police officers. Now, one would think that that would have turned into a free-for-all and it would have been a tragedy. And, and you're because referring you to, know, you're referring to like a potential engagement with the other armed protesters. Correct? Absolutely. Right. Because at that time, it's not just that you heard shots and it's not just that somebody had been shot. Um, it's those two factors. Plus, you know, that we've taken casualties. And the interesting thing that no one talks about, and this was, you know, a point that was raised to me by an officer from DPD. He said, you know, people talk about that incident. And the question I always ask them is how many people did we shoot that night? That weren't, that wasn't the killer. And the answer is zero. Wow, that that's enlightening because I I was unaware of yep. of that. I I, yeah. I was unaware that there was there were additional is, armed it, people there. Oh, there were there were a lot of armed people. It, it was it was it was it was when you were starting to see people protesting and with open guns, and it was a little before, like by twenty seventeen and twenty eighteen and twenty nineteen, and certainly today, where counter protesters would show up armed. So, which is what happened in Kenosha, where you had both sides. You had two different sides. Mm -hmm. uh, in Dallas, I don't think we had uh, any or a significant number of armed, you know, counter-protesters, for lack of a better term. So, uh, it's almost like uh, that is like almost the perfect formula of a lot of guys getting shot. Right. But... It didn't happen. And the reason it didn't happen is because the Dallas officers did, didn't, didn't just open fire. They did not just see a guy with a long gun and go, well, I, not only are shots been fired, we know we've taken casualties. So I'm going to light that guy up. That didn't occur. Yeah. And, and to their credit, to their everlasting credit, um, you know, that, that, that's no small thing. So the reason I bring that up is because that was a situation where gunfire was happening. And even at that point, law enforcement knew that they'd taken casualties. There were other people running around with guns. When they did not look like a threat, they just got them, they just got rid of them. It was like, get out, get out, get away. Right. They did not point guns and jack them up and, you know, cuff them and, and whatever. Um, they very quickly turned out, figured out that they had an active shooter by the way of radio traffic, that they had 
an active shooter. Now, there may have been more than one, but they knew it wasn't everybody and their dog had opened up on them. And so as a result, nobody got shot. Unfortunately, the officers, two civilians, and the bad guy. And the bad guy did get shot to the best that anybody can uh, determine forensically. It is a little gray because he had a chest plate on. Mm -hmm. And it looked like he took a round to the chest. And if you look, uh, well, I don't really advise anybody to go look, but uh, in the uh, aftermath pictures, you can see that he had ra he had a wound in his upper arm, and he had tied it off. So we think that he did take a rifle round to the plate. Hmm. It ricocheted sideways, went in and out of his arm, and then he he tied it off. Wow. So when people think like, well, you know, they hey, there's a guy running along with an AR. Why didn't they jack him up? Well, uh, were there a lot of people with guns in that crowd? I think the answer is yes. So of all the ways it could have gone, I think the, the, what they defaulted to was reasonable. I, it may not have been the best. I don't really don't know what the best could have possibly been. But I do know that the alternative would have been horrible. And right. so when you have a guy that's just like running along with his hands up, that, that, that's not a guy that in the priority of, you know, you know, dangers and circumstance that is ever changing right now that, that, that he's not my word on a, on a two o'clock in the afternoon in the middle of a suburb. And there's one guy with a gun. Yeah. <laughs> he, yeah. he would be engaged somehow. Right. Um, or uh, verbally, he'd be taken into custody. He may be taken under fire, whatever, but not in a situation that was just, you know, shots fired, multiple shots fired. Uh, the history of even when there weren't shots fired and people setting off fireworks and all of those things. And so the fact that they chose to, um, uh, to, to quote, and, you know, I try not to sound wordy, but, to quote, you know, a former commander of Delta, who I read a book, his name is uh, Pete uh, Blabber. Um, he, 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 he had a great quote in his book where he said, it's not always attack or retreat. Sometimes you have to let the situation develop, and that's the right act. And I think that that's what they were doing. They, they, they weren't sure, is this an attack, an attack or is this a retreat? It was neither. Right now, it was a let the situation develop. We need to figure out what just happened. And the fact that a guy with an AR, you know, one way or another, you know, eventually went past a bunch of officers, to me, is, is not outside the bounds of reality and even good judgment in, in a given circumstance. So sorry that that took so long, but the best example that I can use is what occurred in Dallas. And, you know, it, 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 it was them, they tried their best to find out, you know, to understand the situation. And as quickly as they seemed to understand that, you know, the other officers were keying on there was one subject, then that's what they keyed on. And not not just any of the guys that were uh, there in the protest and that were visibly armed with a long gun. Right. So when people ask, you know, why didn't they do, you know, a positive action, be it grab them, cuff them, arrest them, even, even shoot them. Um, that's because to me, 
good judgment said that was a situation where you let the situation develop. You have to understand what's happening. Yeah. I, I, and if a guy's running around with his arms kind of up and looking slightly whatever, yeah, he doesn't, you know, he's like a seven on my, on my, you know, a number one being most important. Right. I, I referred to that over the years as, and I don't remember where I picked the phrase up, but we call it combat patience. It's. Oh, I, wow. That's do, a good way to put it. Yeah. Do I need to, do I need to intervene? And if so, yeah. I need to start the loop. If, if people have heard to me refer to the OODA loop before, but yeah, I need to start engaging in the loop or do I need to, uh, rich, I hate to use the word retreat, but, uh, tac- yeah. tactically digress to a better location, which again, well, you start the process of the loop. Yeah. Or do I need to see how this starts to unfold before I start to engage in the loop, observe, orient, decide, exactly. act. It, it, sometimes the best thing you can do is absolutely nothing until you need to do it. And yeah. uh, I, I've been in the last 18 years, I've had numerous situations where uh, I, I hesitate to call them a riot. Uh, one of them was definitely a riot, but several of them were uh, the the club just let out and people aren't leaving. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden there's cars being overturned and glass bottles being thrown. And one of the ways that I I've been able to explain to people, you know, maybe how that, that particular incident got at the time when he's running with the rifle, that that got pushed yeah. lower into the priority chain. As I said, you yeah. know, if I have 500 people that are angry and they're starting to, uh, get into the mob style of, you know, let's destroy property. Let's do this. Let's do that. Mm-hmm. And I have 10 police officers with me and a lady runs up to me and says, somebody just stole my purse. Yeah. That immediately drops to the bottom of the priority of the situation. <laughs> and sometimes you yeah. don't have time to explain to the average civilian that has been the victim of some misdemeanor type behavior that uh, I lost my cell phone in the club. Okay. Well, there's yeah. about to be a riot. So we'll sort that out. And I'm not trying to deny yeah. you police service, but right now I cannot help you. And sometimes it's a matter of, of having a face-to-face conversation for a few seconds and saying, I understand that, you know, you have this incidents occurred to you, we cannot address that right now. I cannot take assets and resources from yeah. from our position here yeah. and devote that to your your emergency. Uh, and I've seen that happen. Uh, it, it's really quite common when you get into mass, like in Oklahoma, we have the the finger of God that comes down every once in a while and and lays waste to neighborhoods. The tornado. And there's some times that yeah. you have to almost uh, go through a Kazavak protocol to go, okay, well, you've got a broken yeah, arm, yeah. and I understand that it hurts, but y- we can't get an ambulance to you. You're going to have to walk. Uh, I can't drive my police car through a pile of rubble to try to get you help because there's somebody pinned under here with a child or whatever that I have to attend to. Uh, so... 
you you've got to kind of riots are really similar in that regard in that you really have to prioritize what you're going to devote yourself to uh, because I mean, let's face it. That's a situation where you could have had an officer injured. So now, okay, we see there, there's a situation unfolding there and we're, we're watching the development and now we see there's somebody injured. Well, not one guy in one ambulance is going to run in there because now what if they're attacked? Well, now we have to devote more assets and more resources to address that problem that maybe if we had let it unfold, it, it we could have intervened in that more effectively and not risked injuring one of one of the police or a first responder, a medic, you know, uh, a fireman yeah. that that has medical training, whatever that that may be. And I can yeah. give a really good example of that. I worked a, a, a what I called the the great miscommunication of two thousand and five. Uh, there was a concert; it was over capacity. They had counted everyone out. There were people speaking in a different language saying, don't worry when the cops leave, we're going to reopen the concert and the fire marshals there going, this is shut down. It's unsafe. That was not getting communicated to the angry crowd that had checked (laughs) coats and hats and property into this club. So next thing you know, there's fights breaking out and a subject gets injured in the fight. One of his friends comes running up to us and goes, my buddy is, is hurt. He's in there and he's hurt. And it pained me to look at this guy and go, he's going to be hurt for a little bit because there's, we're not going to go into that angry crowd and, and try to rescue him. Because if we all have guns, if one of us loses a gun in there, if one of us gets hit in the head with a bottle and goes down, well, now we've tied up two officers. So if two of us go down, now we've tied up four to six to eight to 10 and and it just, it dominoes down. So I think people need to be cognizant of sometimes your emergency is low in the priority. It may be the most catastrophic event that's ever happened in your life, but to a first responder, it may be the lowest priority incident on the, on the chain of events. So, all right. I think we've, we've really hammered that one. Um, the other one that I saw, and I think it kind of lends into that was I had people go, well, you know, there were people starting fires at these businesses. Where was, where was the, the police and the, in the fire department when that happened? Yeah. And my take on that again was there's prioritization going on and it is dynamic. It is fluid and it is ever changing second by second. So yeah, maybe Maybe as a policeman, I see a guy light a dumpster on fire and I immediately go through a checklist and I say, is, is there danger to life there? Okay. If there's not danger to life there, is there, is there significant danger to property? Meaning is that a gas, is that dumpster going to get rolled into a gas pump? (laughs) You know, you know what I'm saying? Uh, is there a, is there a fuel truck parked in the parking lot that got, you know, the driver had to abandon ship because, he was fueling the gas station and now they're going to roll a burning dumpster. No. Okay. That's not happening. That, that starts dropping in priority and you're constantly in assessment mode there as a law enforcement officer to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, life is number one, you know, property is number two, uh, property that can damage life come or is probably number yeah. two. And then like number three is just sheer property. 
And, you know, yeah. I sympathize with people that lost, you know, lost their livelihood to, you know, arsons and, and various other felonious activity. But the flip side of that is, you know, you can start over. You don't get another life. And it's the same with, with police officers. You know, we, we have one life to lead and one life to potentially give. And if we're injured, we have now tied up an, you know, assets that, that are irreplaceable at the time. So, yeah. And, and all of that is correct. Um, and, and valid. I think it goes one step beyond that. And, and look, we didn't get into this line of work, uh, because of the, hmm, understanding and accolades that we were going to receive is they're going to be few and far between. So the people, the officers that do what they do, especially on days like that, sometimes all, you know, they, they are not only doing the best they can. It's, it's more than that. It is. They sometimes have to very consciously make the decision to take a bite of a steaming ugly sandwich, to put it nicely. Yeah. And they consciously do it. And look, uh, you know, I, this, this, this show and this, this particular broadcast is not meant to elicit sympathy, nor, what, nor anything like that, but maybe it will promote understanding. And so... When you go forward and do something like that, we have protocols that maybe people don't understand. We have some protocols that go, what's happening in there is a bunch of killing. And it doesn't matter what you're wearing. It doesn't matter whether you have your armor on or better armor on or your helmet on. The protocol is go in. And that's our protocol. Because in that particular case, that's the best thing that can happen and we 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 agree to do it and and in some cases like and i go back to what happened in dallas it was um you know talk about mass confusion like one other detail i forgot is that you know it wasn't just dallas pd there were officers shot from three different agencies dallas pd dart which is the dallas rapid transit and uh, a couple that belong to the college. Uh, it's a community college called El Centro. Yeah. They have their own PD. And uh, that's where he ended up holed up, and that's ultimately where uh, he was killed. And so um, can you imagine the swirl of information from three different agencies <laughs> yeah, that are taking casualties? The- and, and, and again, I go back to um, how many people got shot that – you know, did, uh, for lack of a better term, didn't have it coming. None. So, um, which is pretty, you know, pretty it, miraculous. Now that I have an understanding it, of the situation. Yeah, it, it is absolutely miraculous. And you know what? It's just gone by the wayside now. So well, like when I do teach, you know, when I teach something that is appropriate to this, I bring it up because yeah. it's like, that wasn't just like an accident, you know, that, that was, that was legitimate, you know, people 
fully adrenalized, knowing that their their team, their agency had taken casualties, and that's three different agencies, and them both, all three of them, basically saying hold until we know better. That that's something that I think should never be forgotten because uh, it, you know, if, if three or four protesters would have been shot, a it would have been a tragedy because. Honestly, protesters, not protesters, they like cops, they don't like cops, I don't care. They didn't have it coming to get shot. So, that's a good thing. But that didn't happen by accident. And so... Yeah, that was so a lot of want people, healthy restraint. Ahead, that was a lot of healthy restraint. There was a lot restraint. of healthy restraint on, on three different agencies. On You know, can you imagine how many radio channels and, and so on? And, you know... Um, you know, where, where I work and, um, uh, you know, at, at the you know, training academy that I, that I teach at, uh, you know, it hit close to home because my, my main partner, um, uh, his, um, he had a very close friend that was killed that night. And, you know, you know, like when you go through the academy, sometimes they have like a, a lower class and an upper class because you've got like two academies going on. So that guy was the upper class. He was like, you know, eight weeks ahead. So they always assign somebody from the upper class to the lower class, like to mentor you along. That was his mentor. Oh, wow. And they became close friends. They were, they, he was in, you know, in his wedding and he was killed that night. Um, uh, uh, about a year and a half later, uh, we were doing a firearms class and, and, uh, I, I don't want to say the sex or any or the name or the description, but it was an officer, and she belonged to one of those agencies, and she was out from the day of the shooting until she came to our class a year and a half ago. Wow! Because she took two rounds of five four five AK, one across her belly and one that shattered her uh, uh, lower arm, and that's how long it took her to get back. And when she got back, oh, there again, I just said she was a woman, but you know what? Let, let, let people figure it out because she deserves it. Yeah. Um, she said, I, I want to go to more training because I'm going to go back. Wow. That's. And so, and so she came to us and she was a little, you know, tense is an understatement at the beginning of the class. Yeah. And by the end of the class, she was rocking it. So, and then she told us the deal. And she told us the deal. like, this is what happened. This was my injury. It took me a year and a half to recover. I am going to go back to that job. And I wanted more before I go back. And we were tremendously honored to do it. So we have, like, we had a little closer connection than most to what occurred that day. And, and you know, a lot of it gets lost in the nuance. And we don't expect, you know, rah-rah. But, you know, people did a lot of things that day right. And so the reason this, the, this, that event is not the point of the, this program, but it's the best touchstone that I have to equate it to what happened in Kenosha. And what happened in Kenosha is that they didn't do anything bad that could have happened, just like that really could have happened in Dallas in 2016. And you're speaking about the police officers that were on scene there. Exactly. Yeah, I being bad in terms of like uh, taking people under fire that weren't actually shooting at them. Yeah, this would be bad. 
and by anybody's imagine you know by by our, well certainly by our stretch as 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 more uh, law enforcement officers you know right. even people protesting against us we don't want to see them shot i mean they don't like us they don't like us but if they're not threatening us god let them protest yeah at least that's my take on it so when people go well why didn't they do this or why didn't they do that you know my, the thing that first occurs to me is um are you not curious why they didn't act wrongly and um it would have been completely understandable well that's because they chose to let the situation develop right and guess what this this, this isn't a mystery man in the wind no this is a guy that's going through the complete legal process and what will happen will happen rightly or wrongly or whatever but what will happen will happen it's not like this guy um uh just disappeared into the wind no the fact that he left that evening is moot. Yeah, and it really is. I I kind of relate that to you know just the the situations that I've been in where you've had you know an angry crowd and as a law yeah. enforcement officer, you know everybody talks this de-escalation like it is some right. mysterious creature that that right. we that we we only call upon when we're trained to do I'm sorry, so. I'm laughing, but that's the best. That's the best way to put it. And it's like they think that it's a switch that we can turn on. You know, oh, de-escalate. And and in my experience, in 18 years, when it comes to crowds and especially angry crowds, that is when you will witness de-escalation firsthand. Because your personnel are limited, your options are, you know, they're expanded by less lethal and things like that. Yeah. But there is no, there's no way to quantify for somebody that's never really been there to say, if I see a misdemeanor, meaning somebody doing something, a minor ordinance infraction out there in the crowd. Mm-hmm. And now I go and I attempt to arrest them, and mm-hmm. that crowd turns on the group of people that are going to intervene and make make this misdemeanor arrest. Right. Um, you kind of got to look at it like: is the juice worth the squeeze in the end? And yeah, the juice worth the squeeze is one of our favorite expressions. And right. legally, it's referred to as the law of competing harms. Yes, that's <laughs> so. That's what that's what it is. So, and so that's I, the call I, we have to make. I think for the civilian populace that you know, provided they're they're still engaged in in our conversation here, is mm-hmm. the best way I can sum it up in that situation is just because you have an emergency does not mean yeah. it's the emergency worthy of the de- the devotion of assets if that to and assets being personnel equipment yeah and even time so and and I've gotten that a lot and that that first question about why didn't they challenge this individual has kind of mm-hmm. taken the entire episode to to really distill 
And, and there were a yeah. couple of other questions, but they all kind of went back to how come that kid wasn't, or that, you know, young man, whatever, wasn't taken into mm-hmm. custody right there. He wasn't challenged. And all the other spy, or spinoff questions seemed to kind of revolve around that same, yeah. that same thought process of why were the, why were the police not like proactively engaged in, in taking these rioters into right, custody, right. et cetera. And that's kind of, you called it the law of competing. What say that one more time, Harms. the law of competing, the law harms. Of competing harms. And when we train new police officers, you know, we tell them you, when you're responding to a priority call, you have to exercise caution to get there. You may want to drive a hundred miles an hour to get to from point A to point B, because you have that, you have that call inside of you to go and help this person or to intervene in this situation. Well, if you flip your car nine times on the way to get there and you're immobilized, you have compounded the situation, not helped it. And that's what I kind of see when it, when it comes to this civil unrest is because of the manner in which police officers operate. If they're injured, they are no longer help to you. They're no longer help to anyone. So just because you might've had, you know, Hey, there's somebody breaking into my store over here and we go, we understand but right now we can't intervene in that because your life's not in danger. Um, you know, it, you're, you're here, you're behind, you're behind the line. So, and I think some people, that's kind of a hard concept to, to really understand. Well, well um, it absolutely is. And, and, and I, I, I guess right now I'm feeling a little, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, I'm feeling a little, um, I, I want people to understand that this discussion we're having is not about how wrong they are for having those questions. No. It's not. It's just about um, trying to do our best to explain how perhaps we think and are trained to operate and use our best judgment. It is not meant as why don't they understand us? Do they, are they stupid? Do they not understand this, that? And I just, I I don't want it to be that because that isn't what we're doing. No. And, 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 and the best way I can equate to what you were saying about, you know, um, you know, when somebody goes, Hey, you know, I've got this going on, but, you know what else is going on. And as a result, you have to prioritize. And the best way that I can describe it is uh, before I pinned on a badge, this was 1997 or so, I took a, uh, um, a, a uh, the Red Cross used to teach this. Uh, I don't know if they do anymore. Uh, it was a, it was a 60, 60 long hour class and it was called, um, um, uh, life saving in the first 30 minutes. Okay. Okay. Back before really medical classes were chic in terms of our community. And I knew that within a matter of months, I was going to be in the Academy 
And I had some time. And I was like, I'm going to take that class. And I did. And the upshot of that is I learned triage. Right. And I'd never been exposed. I mean, I understood it, you know, because I grew up watching MASH. If you grew up watching MASH, you understand triage, at least in principle, until you do it. So what the reason I bring that up is triage is kind of what we do. When somebody goes, hey, I did, my store is burning. Got it. However, I know that this and this is happening. In a perfect world, you don't do triage. Every single person with any kind of injury gets immediate attention. Right. But that's not our world. That's not anybody's world. So what happens, if there's a guy that's bleeding, and but he's bandaged and it doesn't look like, you know, it's shooting across the room, sorry, he waits. On a different day, he'd be the first priority. But not today. That's triage. It's, you have to you know, put them in order of, of who, you know, what's the worst and go from there. And that's essentially what we do on, in situations like that is basically make a triage call. And when an officer goes, yeah, I understand, but yeah, I, there's nothing I can do about it that now. Well, there's a reason for that is basically he's doing law enforcement triage. I think you, you summed that up really well, and you could you could distill that to it is situational triage. It is absolutely situational. Like I said, on a perfect day, if there's a guy with a through and through bullet hole in his calf, and it's just a through and through, and there's not, well, damn, wrap that up and tell him to go sit over there. Yeah, and I, I have personally, man, I, I've had to do that several times in in uh, like I said earlier in tornadoes you're constantly yeah. in triage mode, but the, uh, the, I, I agree with you. The point we're trying to make is, is it, it ultimately comes down to if you're engaged in a situation like that as an armed citizen, as a, as a civilian, that's not carrying that, or you're caught in a, in a situation and you could potentially become the victim of a crime and yeah. you could potentially be on your own for a considerable amount of time based on situational triage. What else is going on? Yeah. Yeah. What else is going on? Well, and brother, we've been talking almost an hour about this. So wow. final thoughts on, and, and I know we really only got to one question that kind of spiraled off into about a dozen <laughs> different situations. This is what and, happens when you have me on, Brian. Well, you know, you're, you, you told me a long time ago, you're only a subject matter on <laughs> subject matter expert on one thing. And that's the rabbit hole. And, and I yes, think sir. we went down a very good one and hopefully it was an enlightening conversation to show, you know, like my whole point of this one was to kind of elaborate for the armed citizen to maybe answer that question. Hey, this is why things went the way they did from my perspective. Yeah. And that is, I think you coined a new term, situational triage. We have to deal with what's the in the immediate priority, and sometimes that's not what is the immediate priority to you. Uh, and, exactly right. They 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 may not know what we know, and to be honest, we may not know what they know. But anyway, we got to go on what we know. Exactly. Well, I think this was a fruitful uh, episode here. And well, sir, I, I hope so too. And I hope I didn't, uh, 
uh, go on too much about, you know, what I'm most familiar with, which was, you know, the unique incident we had in Dallas. But well, I, I think it's, that it was unique. And, and I think it's a perfectly applicable scenario when you equate what happened or actually more of what didn't happen there. Didn't happen. Exactly right, sir. Yeah. And, and hopefully that was enlightening to some of our armed citizen community so that they realize, like we said, we're constantly doing situational triage and we're constantly dealing with the law of competing harms. So, all right, Hanny. This has been episode. Sure. Been a pleasure. Yes, and uh, we will have you back on soon. I've got a couple of a, a couple of new subject, uh, a couple of new topics lined out, and okay. I will inform you on those. And I think we're going to have another roundtable with Steve Moses. But I want to get you and Steve Moses on together here in the near future to uh, uh, discuss a particular topic. And I won't spoil it for the audience, so they'll come back next All week. Right, but. Uh, Good talking to you, Hanny. I'm going to sign you out and uh, do the do the outro here. All right, this was episode seven, Kenosha, the police response. Lots of good information, and we we kind of toddled down the rabbit hole and related some personal incidents for you to kind of give you an insight into how the police response sometimes works and how you need to be prepared for that. All right, the Off-Duty, On-Duty Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com podcast network. Little reminder, check out our sponsor for this episode, Range Tech Bluetooth Shot Timers. Learn more at RangeTechTimer.com. Also, as always, brought to you by EDC Belt Company, home of the foundation belt, the most comfortable, functional concealed carry belt on the market. Check them out at ConcealedCarry.com as well. A reminder, if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. The Off-Duty, On-Duty Podcast is a production of Eastridge Training and Consulting, LLC.